0: You're listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We're joined by Don Rittner. How you doing, Don? Good, good. How are you this morning? Good. It's good to have you with us. Don Rittner is an historian, archaeologist, environmental activist, educator, and author, the former Schenectady County historian, the former Schenectady City historian, former Albany City archaeologist. He's the author of more than... 35 books on history computers and other subjects and we're here to talk with him about his latest book the history of the Vale*, schenectady's historic rural cemetery published by square circle press it's uh, out this year the Vale cemetery is what's described even though it's in the middle of a city as a rural cemetery what does that phrase mean
1: Well, the rural cemetery movement uh, began around the 1830s, 40s. Um, Basically, you know, when you look at the history of cemeteries in this country, they, you know, people used to be buried in their backyards, you know, when America was mostly a a sort of a rural country. And in terms of um, being buried in a city, it was usually in your church, in the church, uh, you know, cemetery. Well, what happened is that those cemeteries got filled up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and in some cases, you know, there were so many people buried in these small cemeteries that, you know, you'd see coffins and bones sticking right out of the ground. So there was this movement that um, really came about almost like a city beautification movement where the cemeteries started looking, uh, people just started looking at them as, you know, kind of dangerous, ugly, and maybe not uh, sanitary conditions, and started looking at developing these larger cemeteries, but not just as a place to bury people, but also as sort of a uh, kind of a park-like atmosphere, because mm-hmm. the urban cities, especially when you consider Albany, Schenectady, and Troy, uh, were you know, pretty much industrial cities by the mid-19th century. And uh, so there was this idea that, well, why don't, we, you know, why don't we create these sort of rural cemeteries outside the city centers and uh, landscape them and have streams run through them and, and fountains and not only have a place to bury people in a sanitary-like condition, but also for a pe- place for people to go and sort of commute with nature, and they design these sort of winding roads through the cemeteries, so they're very picturesque. Mm-hmm. And in the Capital District, we came up, we basically developed three different rural cemeteries, Elkwood Cemetery in Troy, um, Albany Rural Cemetery, mm-hmm. and then Schenectady, <clears throat> uh, a, a Dale Cemetery. Before that, there were several different um, church-related mm-hmm. cemeteries in the city, uh, in the stockade area, there was some along State Street, some along where the county office building is now. So they were kind of scattered, and and also, you know, the Catholics would have their own cemetery, the Baptists would have their own for African Americans. So this was also a way of sort of bringing everybody together
0: in mm-hmm, the into same cemetery,
1: one large cemetery, and uh, and again, this very pastoral, picturesque kind of. Um, you know, utopian view that you could be. Uh, a poor black slave, and you could be a very rich, you know, powerful industrials all buried in the same place. Yep. Apparently, you were all going
0: to have it. <laughs> Let's hope. Uh, and also, I'd like to put in a word for my uh, native city, uh, Amsterdam in upstate New York. It, right. too, has a, a rural cemetery, the Green Hill uh, Cemetery. And, and these cemeteries were all established sort of in the mid-1800s. When was the yeah. Vale Cemetery created?
1: Well, the, the thing about, uh, well, it, it depends on which incarnation you're talking about because uh, it, it really came about in in a couple different ways. Um, Union College actually had a college cemetery uh, in the same location. And then when Vail was started itself, uh, the city actually sort of initiated it uh, based on complaints by the public that, you know, hey, uh, what are we going to do here? There's uh, all these, you know, all these uh, cemeteries, and, you know, they're full. So it really was a public outcry for the city to do something. So the city put together a committee, and they started looking for different areas where they could create this rural cemetery. And they had a few ideas, but uh, they owned a thing called the City Hospital. This is up on upper state street. And again, it's where the cemetery is located now, but it was mm-hmm. called the city hospital uh, area. And mm-hmm. uh, it was about a hundred acres. And that's what they decided to to take because the Cowhorn Creek is very large stream that ran from the pine bush down through the city, sort of winding around through downtown and into the Mohawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they figured, well, they could dam that up and they could create some sort of beautiful lakes and there were three different lakes there uh, so it was a perfect place. It had these valleys, which is why it's called the Vale, and uh, and these little rolling terrains and some streams there. So that was the area they picked. And this was this was over a period of several years. So it started really in the 1820s uh, when they were started looking at this, stuff. but it wasn't until you know the 18 well 1850s that they really came up with um, a bona fide plan. Now, the problem is that once they realized, um, you know, once they created this, apparently there was a law against the city or any city owning a uh, cemetery. Mm. And so they ended, uh, ended up selling it to a group of uh, initial people who bought, um, purchased the there. Serials. So, uh, I think it was several families that were sort of the first to buy plots. And they put together uh, an association. And uh, that was, I'm trying to think, around 1840s, 1857. Mm -hmm. And uh, by then, um, they formed an association, and it was sold to the city. Although I can't remember how much it was sold. Not very much. Around
0: $5,000. So does the city still own it?
1: No. No, um, the city ended up selling it to this association back around 1858, and it's been an association ever since. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what happened was, unfortunately, um, somebody wasn't minding the store, I guess, and uh, they had an endowment, and eventually uh, they didn't have an endowment. Uh And so about 10 years ago, they were in very bad financial shape, and a group of volunteers sort of took it over. Uh, and led by Bernie and Bernie and Barbara McAvoy. Bernie's a retired doctor. Mm-hmm. And so it became this nonprofit organization, which is really trying to, you know, um, keep it going, mostly by volunteers and getting grants, and, uh, and it's this great cemetery. They have a crematorium that they put in. Which I think might be most of the business now, but it's still a working uh, cemetery, and you know there's still plots there. Mm-hmm. You can still be buried there. Sure. But uh, for a number of years, it was in pretty bad shape.
0: Yeah. And is it, um, you know, by day it's a park, but by night, wasn't it the scene of of like some illicit activities over over the years or in more recent? Well, years?
1: all cemetery. I mean, you know, you just pick any cemetery, and that's. Uh, you know, that's been the case, uh Troy, all these days. any of these rural cemeteries, because again, they're you know, originally they were sort of out of the city, but they're they're large and they were pretty easy to get into and most of these cemeteries uh had problems. But a few years ago the Vale uh, Vail people got a grant uh and they were able to install security cameras. And so having the security cameras in there has reduced a lot of the crime, uh, a tremendous amount of the crime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, all these cemeteries have had, uh, you know, people doing, you know, illegal activities or whatever. And some people have been found, you know, murdered. So they all have their stories. Sure. Uh, but in, like I said, in the last, you know, 10 years or so, uh, Particularly in Vale anyways, where they have a security system the police can monitor, it, and they do patrol it as well uh there's been you know a reduction in that and of course during the daytime
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, a lot of people use it as a shortcut
0: mm-hmm.
1: know, to go through go, go the city
0: and was there a designer of the of the cemetery uh
1: yeah uh, um, in fact it was the same person who designed uh, uh, the uh Washington Park in Albany. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name.
0: Well, I have two names here. Um, Let's see. Burton Thomas and John Doyle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Burton Thomas,
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Thomas was the the architect designer, and the other fellow was the uh, landscape architect.
0: Okay. And uh, you mentioned that uh, one thing about these rural cemeteries is they tended to be open to all. Uh, and you mentioned, and I, I gather there are... Well, maybe there's more than two, but I saw described two plots in the cemetery, the Union College plot, as you indicated, and also the African-American burial plot.
1: Right. Well, originally the African-American plot was down right across from where the county office building is now, near Hamilton Street, Mm -hmm. not Terrace, that area. Uh, And uh, I think right after the Civil War, that was uh, dug up and they were reinterred into Baal. and it became um, the African American burial plot, which has, you know, grown from those days. Uh, and this, you know, Moses, uh, uh, Viney is uh, buried there, and he was a, a famous sort of escaped uh, runaway slave who came and worked for the Union College president, uh, not. Mm-hmm. And became a well known sort of taxi driver after uh God had died. And uh, there's a member of the Underground Railroad who's buried there. But, yeah, it's um uh it's located uh, just as you go in to uh to Vale um from the State Street entrance, it's a little to the left of that. It's it's a good sized plot now. A few years ago, they didn't know everybody that was buried there because not everybody got a headstone, but there was a company that volunteered to come in and do uh, I think it's called Ground Penetrating Radar, where you could actually map uh, structures underground. And they found that there were many, many more people buried there that didn't have gravestones.
0: Hmm. Are there other designated plots?
1: Well, you know, there's Potter's Field. There's the the, there's a, segment, there's a section there where basically indigent um, people from the Elm's house who died, uh, paupers, people who had no money, they're buried there. There's, there's a couple hundred uh, just simple markers. Um, and there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a Baptist section. Uh, there's a sort of a German Lutheran section. Uh, so, in a way, there's still sort of these very specific sections, because again, when it, when when it was first being uh, formed, some of these uh, religious denominations were looking for a home, mm-hmm. because again, they're you know the cemeteries that were usually surrounding the churches were full, so they petitioned and asked if they could have a sp- you know sort of a spot okay. to bury their kind. So. Even though Vale is a sort of big open well, cemetery, there are designated areas where Baptists are buried, the Etheridge are buried. Okay. Um, we're talking
0: okay. with we're talking with Don Rittner. About uh, his new book, The History of the Vale, Schenectady's Historic Rural Cemetery. That would be Schenectady, New York, but I believe Schenectady, New York is the only Schenectady, probably, in the world. Yeah. We'll return in just a moment uh, more with uh, Don uh, Rittner. We'll maybe ask him who's who? Who are some of the people uh, specifically buried at uh, the Vale? I'm Bob Cudmore. I hope you enjoy this edition of the Historians Podcast. We've been producing these weekly half-hour podcasts since 2014. Guests have included Adirondack's author Don Williams, Richard Norton Smith, author of On His Own Terms, A Life of Nelson Rockefeller, and Kyle Jenks, outdoor drama producer. We keep going financially in large part because of your donations to our GoFundMe campaign that helps to pay for production expenses. Please donate at GoFundMe.com forward slash historians2016. GoFundMe.com forward slash historians2016. Or if you'd rather send a check, please make it out to me, Bob Cutmore, and send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Thank you. And let's get back to our podcast interview with Don Rittner. Author of the History of the Vale, Schenectady's historic rural cemetery. I believe your book uh, contains short biographies of a hundred and one notable people who are uh, buried at the at the Vale. And I just wanted to ask you about some of them. Who who stands out as far as uh, you're concerned? I've got a little list here uh, myself, but who who would you like to bring up?
1: Well, I you know the uh, of course. Uh, one of the most famous scientists of all time was Charles Steinmetz, mm-hmm. uh, who worked for g e and he really was responsible for us to have alternating current, even though uh, Thomas Edison was <laughs> a proponent of of current,
0: right
1: but uh, you know Steinmetz was uh, a refugee from Germany and uh, a brilliant, brilliant scientist mathematician and uh, but he had a he had a, a genetic disease, uh, so um, his, his father had it too. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting married, he actually adopted a family. Um, and uh, but he, he the the Steinmetz story is kind of interesting because when he first came to America, he, he was working for another com- uh, company. And, uh, but at a young age, he was, you know, getting quite the, uh, reputation. And so, uh, Edison wanted to hire him, but he didn't want to, you know, he just didn't want to, uh, to leave where he was. So, um, what he did is, uh, uh Edison bought the company so he, <laughs> so he could so get signed. <laughs> okay. And, uh, but, you know, uh, for, for many years, alternate was a problem with uh, alternating current tra- losing energy as uh, it travel over a distance, and he came up with a, 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 a formula for that. I think it was called the law of hysteresis, and that's how they came up with transformers and stuff like that to be able to uh, take this power and sort of trans- transport it over long distances. Uh, but he was—he was quite the character. He didn't take a—he uh, didn't take a paycheck. He just told GE uh, to pay for his expenses. And that, of course, including building a house and stockade, and stuff like that. So, hmm. so they made you know, up, uh, um, you know, better by having that done than having a weekly paycheck.
0: Yeah, but would think. And other, uh, G-
1: other, I should say, uh, and, you know, along those lines, you had somebody like Ernst Alexanderson, who was from Sweden, and really the father of modern uh, television. Yeah, and uh, you know, the first for
0: broadcast of television took place in four houses in the Stockade in the Stockade. Yeah. And you know it's and, funny uh, I uh, I know a, you know a bit about Ernst Alexanderson mainly from my barber uh, Richard De Christophero, right. who used to cut his hair. Um, oh, that's cool. You got, I mean he lived uh, you know into I don't know when it was he died. I mean Richard's been cutting hair I think uh, 50 yeah, I think years. Yeah, he
1: died in 73. It yeah. was around uh, no, 75 I think he died in 75.
0: But he was important both to—he uh, was important both to radio and uh, television. I mean, his uh, yep. a- alternator was used for radio transmissions. Then he did develop a kind of uh, television, which uh, WRGB uh, then used, or the General Electric uh, yep. station, and uh, arguably the first uh, broadcast in America.
1: Yeah, uh, well, he's given credit for that, and also the first public broadcast they did in 1930. They did. Um, a public broadcast out of Proctors, where they had uh, um, a conductor in the audience and a symphony somewhere else, and he was able to uh, do this uh, conductive symphony uh, via television, mm-hmm. and it made all the national newspapers as well. Mm-hmm. But he uh, that says uh, alternator, the, the uh, Alexanderson alternator, uh, there's one in Sweden, his hometown. And every July 4th, which is his birthday, they fire that up and they deliver a message, which goes out all over the world. So it's actually still in operation. But, yeah, you're right. He's given a lot of credit for it, uh, for radio. He really did the first Amber Alert, in a way.
0: Yeah, for his His son, son. right?
1: Yeah, his son was kidnapped. And he and his wife went on WGY. And, uh, of course, fortunately, his son was was found and returned uh, alive and unharmed. But uh, but yeah, he he had I think more. The only person you had more patents was Edison. That's how prolific he was. And I think his last his last uh, invention was for a color TV tuner. Hmm.
0: Now you uh, said uh, explained how the Vale Cemetery comes to be uh, you know, just before the Civil War. Uh, maybe would be one way to look at it. And I, I see a, ma- a man's name who is buried there named Charles Lewis, who fought in the Civil War and witnessed the assassination of President Lincoln in 1865.
1: Well, um, this whole thing about, uh, yeah, the, the um, it, there's such a connection with Lincoln and the, the Civil War, it's, it's amazing. Um, in 1861, when he was running for the office, he was in Albany staying at what was called the Washington Hotel. And just down the street was the Gaiety Theater. And this young actor named John Moose Booth was performing there. And uh, I forgot what play he was performing but He fell on a sword and almost killed himself. Oh my. And I always thought, if, if the sword had gone just about an inch to the left, history would have been
2: totally
1: changed. Huh. And uh, Lewis, there's another uh, there was another fellow from Albany, the uh, senator from Albany. Um, there was a, a soldier from Troy. Wilkes actually gave a free ticket to all were in uh, Ford Theater when uh, Nick when was assassinated.
0: And you mentioned uh, uh, we, we talked about Steinmetz and Alexanderson uh, connected to Thomas Edison's uh, General Electric. I mean, he's not buried there. He's buried somewhere else. But uh, yeah. uh, actually,
1: I, Edison was only here twice.
0: Okay, uh, but oddly enough, there are Westinghouses, uh, you know, rivals yes. of uh, Edison, buried there. How did that come to be?
1: Well, what's interesting is that I don't. Uh, people probably don't realize that George Westinghouse's first junior, anyway, it's just the first two inventions, um, was which was a uh, a. A brake, uh, air brake for trains, and, uh, a uh, engine, were invented right there on State Street. His father was actually the Westinghouses were pretty famous for making threshing machines, agricultural machines, and they originally were in Scary Valley. And when the Erie Canal was built, they moved into Schenectady, and really, their the Westinghouse uh, main house was right down. Almost where um, the, where the Greyhound, where the bus station is, say if anybody's familiar with that, hmm. on Lower State Street by the river, and that's where Charles Jr. grew up. And uh, of course, the uh, you had the Edison Electric Company, and you had the Weston House uh, Agricultural Company, and they were right next door to each other, right there in the canal. Huh. And the uh, so so um, Weston House Jr. You know. Grew up right there, uh, helping his father, and then uh, coming up with his own uh, his own inventions. But the the it's interesting between him and Edison. Edison was again again, a big proponent of direct current, and um, Alexanderson or um, Westinghouse was a proponent of alternating current. And and the two of them did not like each other. Connecticut was not big enough for both of
0: them.
1: (laughs) Of course, Westinghouse moved down to Pittsburgh. Right. But it became known as the the battle the battle of currents, uh, you know. And that, I mean, it was clear. I, and don't forget, Steinmetz was working for uh, Edison, and he knew the value of alternating current. Seemed everybody did, but, but Edison. But he had so much invested in, in DC, so you can understand why. But he was so uh, adamant about trying to prove AC being, you know, uh, not the way to go that he hired somebody to design uh, an instrument that would prove how dangerous alternating current was. And he gave this guy 50 bucks. So the guy came up and invented the electric chair. <laughs> Thank goodness. And, of course, the first person, uh, you know, uh, uh, was uh, electrocuted. I think was, he was in Dan Moore. And uh, so Edison actually went to the New York State legislature and tried to have this officially known as being Westinghouse.
0: Oh, the Westinghouse chair.
1: Yeah. So of course I didn't go over to no. work, but that's how much these two hated each other. Well, but interesting. it's interesting that both of them, both of the companies, really began to connect it.
0: Uh, and connected. Uh, and something completely different. I gather there are at least two representatives of, uh, of baseball in the in the cemetery. Chuck, e- or oh, no, I'm sorry, Chick Evans, a pitcher for the Boston Braves, 1909 oh. and 1910, and also Frank Wickware who was a pitcher for the Mohawk Giants in the Negro League.
1: Yeah, that is correct. Um, the, I, I just want to back up for a minute, because we were talking about uh, sort of the industry. The, the, the something, uh, there there's something, there's people, the Clute brothers are buried there, and I, wanted to, I didn't want to forget to talk about them, because uh, without the Clute brothers and without a couple of foundries in Troy, the civil war may have been lost uh, uh, to the south and um, you, i mean we all grew up you know, learning about the battle between the monitor and the mm mm-hmm. mhm at least you know in high school
0: right
1: and but very few people know that much of the much of the parts for the monitor were actually built in the capital district particularly troy it's connected there were only eight foundries that were given contracts to build this uh, ironclad and uh, two of them were in Troy. Of course, Troy financed it. Uh, there was uh, two uh, very well-connected business people, Winslow and, and uh, um, Griswold in Troy, who actually financed it out of their own pocket. That's how sure they were that this, this thing would work. And then the Klute Brothers were we'll given a contract to build the uh, rotating gears. What differentiated, you know, the monitor from warfare up to that time was the fact that you had a, you know, you had to battle your ship's broadside, so you'd have to turn your ship, you know, broadside, then fire your guns, mm-hmm. then turn your ship, reload them, go back to broadside. And what made the uh, ironclad monitor so different is that it had a rotating turret, so it didn't matter which way your ship was going; you just turned your your turret and the your fired cannons. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, changed naval warfare forever. Really? So, um, Klute Brothers was given the contract to build the docking engine, which turned the turret and built the turret. Mm-hmm. So, that had not worked. Uh, the whole outcome of that war made been totally different. Yeah. Uh, Troy built the hull plates for it. Yeah. So, the, uh, the, the cannonball ship basically bounced off the ship. Really? Uh, but Klute Brothers uh, <laughs> Not only did they do that, they built what's called the Devil, which was the first torpedo boat hmm. for the Civil War as well. They built the, uh, much of the gear to uh, in order to shoot off uh, the torpedoes. And early torpedoes were called the late torpedoes, or the, the naval guy. I guess it was his name, and he designed this torpedo. And they would take it out into the Mohawk next to the bridge there, which at the time was covered bridge, I guess, and uh, and they would test these torpedoes. And they were so successful that they, you know, they, they bought them. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't really work too well. Hmm. So they ended up selling the remaining torpedoes to the Peruvian Navy. who oh. were having an insurgency problem.
0: Well, on that note about oh, the per- I'm sorry, on that note on about the Peruvian Navy, we've just run out of time. We've been talking with uh, Don Rittner, author of the History of the Vale Schenectady's Historic Rural Cemetery. It's published by Square Circle Press. It's a uh, new this year. This is the Historians Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.